0: You're up.
1: Well, we were talking when we came up. We were talking about how Yahweh is really sanctifying and cleansing his people, the inner cleansing. And it just so happens, of course, I don't believe in Kawinki Dink. You don't believe in Kawinki Dink either. This week's Torah portion, back in the book of Bar Midbar, Numbers chapter 8 talks about the cleansing and the dedication of the Levites. And that's so important. And I don't ever want to diminish, diminish the work of the Levites, because it is important. But we know that that was Yahweh's second plan, right? That was Yahweh's permissive will. But His perfect will was that we would all be a kingdom of priests. I'm saying that that is the time is now that we have got a grasp hold of it. Don't you think, Pastor Jim? I agree. We've got a grasp hold of that now. So how does that look? How does that look to us today in the body of Moshiach? I believe that Yeshua has given us the way. He is the way, the truth, and the light. But he's given that to us in a dynamic way. And I want to talk about that today. And I believe that this week's Torah portion just really is... A leading to something so much greater. Because all of this Torah now that we've, we're coming into, that we're learning of, what are we supposed to do with it? Now that we're here. I mean, how does it look? I mean, this is new. We're the first generation in 2,000 years that have the testimony of Moshiach and are keeping the mitzvot, the commandments. But what does it look like? I mean, it doesn't look like Messianic Judaism. But that was something that I spent many years gravitating towards. Because quite honestly, brethren, when I left the church system, I felt like I'd left the harbor and I was swimming in the water and I was just grabbing for something solid. Something that, I could, that looked tangible that I could at least grab hold of. Because I, I felt like I was drowning because I was in uncharted territory. I made some many mistakes. I reached out and you know, I got into a real messianic, religious, judaic kind of thing for several years. And I think many brethren have looked there, and you know it's all Levitical. Not to diminish that, but there's a higher calling. There's a higher calling. We have got to punch through that. And whenever I'm invited out here to Passion for Truth, I see it. And we have conversations. And I believe the work that is happening here is a different work. It's a different work. It's a work where you're punching through that religious veil, that messianic, Hebraic veil. It's more than what we have come accustomed to. It's much more.
0: You know, we were downstairs, we were talking. I love this uh, the word picture that, that was developing when you were saying going out into the water. And it's kind of like grabbing a buoy. And so we all kind of like gravitate towards your buoy. Matter of fact, it works in your spiritual life too, because when you're in a serious chaos and you don't know where to go, where to go and you're getting tired, you tend to gravitate towards anything that will hold you up. And so that may be a, a, a buoy. It may be a, a log floating in the water. It may be another person and that you drown that other person because you, 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 you're so needy and you need so much to fill you that you uh, you literally drain that other person anybody been in here where you know people like that yeah. that have drained you completely because they're so needy but see the father has not called us to grab onto a buoy he's called us to walk on the water that's what he's really called us to do and so why don't we walk on water when we we are so accustomed to grabbing onto a buoy He's going to talk about this tonight, and we're going to talk about this, but I want to pose and set this all up by saying, why don't we walk on water? Why is it that our first instinct is to gravitate towards something that's an an inanimate object, something that that we can see and touch and feel and taste and experience? And I'm going to say, because we are 6,000 years removed from who we really were created to be, which is not inanimate objects that gravitate towards physical, the physical realm. We were created spirit beings first that are connected to that which does not exist on this planet at the present. We are connected to the spiritual realm. What was the very first thing that was created in Genesis? The light hovered over what? The face of the waters. So there's an illusion there that we, are, as children of the what? The light, are supposed to hover over the chaos or the, 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 the formless and the void. The, with the, the tohu vabohu, is that how you say it, I think, in Hebrew? We are to hover over the water, the turbulent water. We are not supposed to find ourselves in the water, we're supposed to find ourselves hovering over the water. Yeshua walked on water, Peter walked on water, and the only thing that prevented Peter from continuing to walk on water is what? He looked down and recognized that he was doing something he shouldn't be doing in the physical realm. And what I think Matthew's going to really hit tonight is that you have a calling and a destiny that's higher than swimming. Anybody in here ever been in Boy Scouts before? You got your merit badge, your swimming badge, right? I got my swimming badge. You had to you had to swim a mile. Well, that I like I'm like ten years old or whatever I was, and all oh, no problem. A mile can't be that far, you know. You can just see little ten year old Jim Staley running into the water like it's a race, you know. And I get in there and I'm doing you know my thing and hundred yards in and I'm already you know asking for nine one one. Where's my cell phone, you know? And and I realize that swimming is very 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 difficult on your body. It uses every muscle. It exhausts you completely. Some of you feel like you're swimming in life and you're drowning. And it's because you're living in a different realm, a different calling that you're not called to. You're never called to swim. You're called to walk.
1: We're called to be kings and priests. It's the inner cleansing. It truly is that inner cleansing. So this week's Torah portion, we look at the dedication and the cleansing of the Levites. But Yeshua has called us to a different priesthood. He's called us to the Zedek. That's the inner cleansing. That's the deep work. That's the anointing that is going to break you all free. It's what's broken me through. From years for years, I was looking at everything Levitical, everything Messianic, everything Hebraic. But there's so much more in Yeshua because he's going to push you through that religious veil and actually give you the inner empowering anointing that changes your families that changes your marriages that raises up the next generation it's not limited to Levitical not to diminish that but why go with the lesser when you've all I've been called you've been called to something greater something greater we sang that song it was wonderful freedom in this place Freedom in this place. So you leave your dogma. You leave your doctrines. You get called out of the church. And you come into Torah. And you find, you begin to find some freedom. What do you think Satan Tam wants to do with you then? He wants to lock you up so fast. He'll lock you up in Torah. He locked me up in Torah. Through intellect. Through knowledge. Through being puffed up. Oh, yes, I understood all these great, mysterious, deep things. And my logic and my reason locked me up. It locked me up until I got thrown down again. And he said, no, I've called you to something greater than Levitical. This is how to set your people free. You are kings and priests of the order of Malki, tzedek. Malki, kings, Zedek righteousness. Malki, tzedek, that's the calling. Let's look where this begins. Let's turn to Bereshit, Genesis, to the beginning, chapter 14, verse 17. Malki, not mentioned much in the scripture. He's only mentioned in three places in the entire scriptures. Within the story of Avram, as he returned from recapturing his nephew Lot. Then we see with one of the Psalms, speaking about Melech Dawid, King David. And then within the book of Ivrim, the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Those are the three places in scriptures. It's a mystery. It's the Malkitsedic mystery anointing. Bereshit, Genesis 14, 17. Then after his return from the defeat of Shedolomar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shever. That is the king's valley. And Malkit Zedek, king of Shalem, Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was the Kohen, the priest of Elohim Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Avram, of Elohim Most High, possessor of the Shamain, the heavens, and the Eretz, the earth. And the blessed be the Elohim Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him one tenth of all. The king of Sodom said to Avram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. And Avram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to Yahweh Elohim Most High, possessor of the shamayim and the Eretz, the heavens and the earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours. For fear you would say, I have made Avram rich, and I will take nothing, nothing except that which young men have eaten and their share of the men who went with them, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamri, let them take their share." So, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, he received what? One-tenth of the spoils of Avram's victory against who? Shedolomar. The key to the beginning of unraveling this mystery of Melchizedek anointing, which I believe Yahweh wants to place on all of us, on all of us. Turn with me to Tehillim, Psalms 110, and we'll see where this Malkit speaks again in the scripture. Tehillim, Psalm 110, and verse 1, it is written, Yahweh, pay attention to this, pay attention to this, and pay attention to your various translations, because many of you would be reading from, say, the King James Version or English versions of the scriptures, And the majority would be taken from the Masoretic text. This is the buoy again. I gravitated towards because it seems secure. Everything Judaic, Hebraic, Messianic. But the Masoretic text is a very, very new manuscript. And in fact, 134 times Judaism has altered that manuscript when it obviously speaks about Yeshua, 134 times, and here's one of those instances. Yahweh said to my Adon, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Yahweh shall send the rod, the scepter of your strength, out of Sion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be willing in the day of your power in the splendors of set-apartness from the womb of the morning. You have the Jew of your youth. Yahweh has sworn and will not lie so as to repent. You are a Cohen, a priest, le'olam v'yed, forever and ever. After this, after and in the order of Malkit Tzedek. Look at verse 5. Yahweh at your right hand many of your translations it doesn't say that they replaced it with what does they replace it with somebody Adonai. but it doesn't it's Yahweh at your right hand so verse 5 qualifies what verse 1 who sits at Yahweh's right hand Yahweh sits at Yahweh's right hand how can that be so It's got something to do with the Malkit Tzedek. Verse 5 qualifies verse 1. But the Masorites had to take that and take it out. Because brethren, it's not about the buoy. It's about the Malkit Tzedek anointing. He shall shatter kings. He shall shatter kings. The first mention in Scripture is very important. Where do we find the first mention of Malkitzedek? It's after a war with what? With kings. So the second mention we find, something to do with the Malkitzedek shall shatter kings in the day of his anger. He shall judge among the nations and he shall fill the places with the dead bodies and he shall wound the leaders over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in its derrick way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. A connection. Now turn to Ivrim, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5. We're going to follow this crimson cord, this thread from the Torah. We've seen it now in the Psalms. Now we go into the Brit Hadashah. Ivrim, Hebrews 5, verse 5. So also, Moshiach did not glorify himself so as to become a Kohen Haggadal, a high priest, but him whom he said, you are my son today, I have begotten you. Just as he also says in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Malkit Tzedek. It's interesting here now, because in the Greek language, it's written, kataton taxine malchitzedic And it means taxin, the, Hebrew, uh, the, the Greek word taxin. It means order, as in a sequential order in the proper sequence or array of something. It's the sequence, the sequential order, the proper array of the malkitsedic. Now, a better example of this Greek word taxine comes to us in Luke chapter one, verse five, where Yochanan John the Immerser's father, Zacharias, was placed in the taxine, the order of Abijah. Talking about a Levitical, but it's an order. It's a specific order the order of righteousness an order of righteousness because it says in Luke chapter 1 verse 5 regarding Zacharias and Elizabeth or Elisheba Yochanan Harmat parents that they were both Zadik's they were both Zadik's but they were within an order of Levi or a tax in so when the writer of the book of Hebrews bear with me because I'm going to try and thread the needle here when the writer of the book of Hebrews quotes Psalm 110 the Hebrew word for order is Debra Debra and that word is only used four times in the whole of the Tanakh and it literally means to put in order through Dibra comes from the Hebrew word I mean speaking, to put in order for, through speaking or ordering of sequence again.
0: Which is amazing because linguistically, uh, the word in Hebrew for word is Debar. Mm-hmm. And so you, the, linguistically, it's, it's so cool because Hebrew is all connected. So the order is put into order through speaking through the word
1: it is and we need to speak into each other's life this order of Malkithic in our prayers in our congregations we need to claim it by speaking it speaking the order because if you read Gilyana Revelation chapter 2 we are to be in that order Of kings and priests it's a powerful anointing but myself I'd look to the buoy I'd look to Judaism I'd look to messianic that's been going on for 20 years and you know brethren Yahweh's doing something even more but we've got to be in the right sequencing
0: yeah you know it's really incredible about this word order that he referred to Abihah uh, which is John the Baptist uh, we call John the Mercer John the Baptist's dad was uh was a priest which makes john the baptist a priest which is hugely significant because yeshua cannot be uh he cannot be inaugurated into ministry until a priest uh inaugurates him which is a whole other story but what i want to bring up here is it says that that uh that Zechariah was in the order of Abiha. zachariah was john the Baptist's father excuse me uh, and the order is under Levi. There are there were multiple orders. Okay, there's uh, 24 orders uh, that uh, that the priests would take one week uh, at a time, and they would serve at the temple. And then when the 24 weeks was over, they would they would start over, and so they would each serve twice a year. Where that becomes really significant in this message is the order. The word "order" in Hebrew is specifically talking about the connection of one of the orders that was set in place to serve at the temple. They all took their place, like clockwork, they knew exactly what their calendar was, they knew when they were going to have to go serve at the temple, everything was clockwork, year after year, month after month, decade after decade, generation after generation, until there was one order that rose above and and said, this is the order that I want to serve at my temple.
1: And we are a temple of the living Eloah, right? So if there's an order spoken by the writer of the book of Ivrim, Hebrews, then we see an order in the Levitical order through the parents of John the Immerser, then we should be able to, by going back to the Malkid Zedek, we should see some ordering, should we not? Or is that just me? I'm thinking we should see some ordering, some sequencing. We should see some reference to it with the Malkid Zedek. So where else in the Scripture do we find a reference to a person whose king is righteous? Malki. Zedek a turn to kepha bet second peter not somewhere you would think to look Kifabet, bet second peter chapter 2 verse 4 now i'm going to give you the literal translation because we do understand in the king jimmy they added grammar they just took the liberty to you know add the queen's grammar but the queen's grammar doesn't exist in the Greek. But they they wanted to put the grammar in to to help you understand. But maybe they're trying to help you understand doctrine and dogma and we don't want that tonight. We just want what the scripture literally says. Is that true? I mean that's what I want. So let's give you the literal translation of Kifabet chapter two verse four. For if Aloha's messengers who sinned did not spare but with chains of thick gloom, having cast them down into Tartarus, did deliver them to mishpat, judgment, having been reserved, and the old world did not spare, but the eighth person, Noah, of righteous, a preacher. Let me say that again. But the old world did not spare, the old world, excuse me, did not spare, but the eighth person, Noah, of Righteous, a preacher, did keep a flood on the world of the impious having brought and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah having turned to ashes. Now, going back to the scripture of first mention, is Sodom and Gomorrah mentioned with, in context with the Malkit Zedek? Yes, right? So now we're looking at the eighth person, Noah, of righteous, a preacher. The passage doesn't say that there were seven others that were saved with Noah. It doesn't say that in the literal translation. It says that Noah was the eighth preacher of righteousness. Zadika. That Noah was the eighth preacher of righteousness. They were decent enough in the King James or in the New King James to at least italicize one of eight people, showing you that it's not actually in the text. They were at least decent enough to italicize it. So who were the previous seven if Noah was the eighth preacher of righteousness? Because Noah was not the eighth generation of man, he was actually the tenth. So it can't be talking about that. Look at the ten generations. First of all, you have Adam. Second is Seth. Third is Enosh. Fourth, Canaan. Fifth, Mahalalel. Sixth, Jared. Seventh, Enoch. Eighth, Methuselah. Ninth, Lamech. The tenth generation, Noah so it's not talking about that how could Noah be the eighth how could he be the eighth is it part of the Malkitsetic is it part of that mystery while Noah isn't the eighth generation from mankind he's the tenth generation from mankind Noah is The eighth in a line, in an order, in a taxin, in a dibra, in a speaking of order sequentially of preachers of righteousness. Adam was the first. He lived for 930 years from creation to his death. Now, when Adam died, Seth was the next in the succession. When Seth died, Enoch took over. When Enoch died, Canaan was next. When Canaan died, Mahahel filled his role. When Mahahel died, Jared took that role. And when Jared died, Methuselah took his place because Enoch was taken up. Therefore, that line was skipped in the sex session. And when Methuselah died, the eighth preacher of righteousness was who? Noah. Noah took the role because Lamech had already died. He was the eighth in the order of righteousness. Noah a preacher of righteousness was eighth in line of succession second Peter 2 5 now makes sense to me when I read it literally from Adam now if Noah was a preacher of righteousness from his generation then who was in the sequence of Malchizedek priests who were serving in this priesthood when Avram rescued Lot and gave a tenth. Who was the Malkit then? Noah was the eighth, and when he died, his son Shem would have been next in line. Shem would have been the Malkit Now, according to historical literature and the book of Yasha, which is mentioned three times in Scripture, the book of Yasha says that Shem was the Malkit now, many, many, many historical writings also conclude that Shem was the Malkit Zedek. I'll leave that open to you to, to look into. So what was going on? This has troubled me for a long time. What was going on with the meeting between, she, between Shem, or the Malkit Zedek, and Avram? What was going on back at that time? Because that is our Torah of first mention, which is going to give us the key to unlocking the mystery of the Malkit setting. Now, what had Avram had done? He had just defeated four kings in a battle, the battle of the kings. He had just defeated Amraphel, Ariok, Shedeloamar, and Tidal. They had made war against Sodom and taken Lot captive, right? Now, King Shedolomar, he's mentioned specifically in the meeting with Malkit and Avram. If you look at Bereshit, Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. Then, after Avram's return from the defeat of Shedolomar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shevna, which is the king's valley. Look at Bereshit, Genesis, chapter 14, verse 18. And Malkitzedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a Kohen of Elohim Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Avram of Elohim Most High, possessor of the Shamayim and the Eretz. And blessed be Elohim Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave him a tenth of all. Now, why aren't the other kings mentioned by name right there? Why only in verse 17 is Shedoloamah mentioned? What's going on? It's because Shedoloamah was a descendant of... I heard it. Somebody said it. He was a descendant of Shem. Because Shedoloamah was the king of... Elam, Genesis chapter 14, verse one. And the Elam was a son of Shem, Genesis chapter 10, verse 22. So Avraham, or Avram, as he was known then, was also one of Shem's descendants through Afaqad.faqsad. Wow. So what had Avram just done? Avram, a descendant of Shem, had just killed Chedelohamah, a descendant of Shem. You've got a family feud, and the Cohen comes, and Avraham, Avram as he was known then, tries to make peace with him by paying him a tenth, and the Malkitsedek Shem gives bread and wine. It's a peace Offering between a family feud. Shem shows up and makes peace with Avram by bringing bread and wine. Avram makes peace with Shem by giving him a tenth of all. It's a family feud. Avram, a descendant of Malkit Shem, killed Shedolomar, a descendant of Shem, the Malkit This, brethren, is unlocking a mystery for us. Yeshua, the Zedek, is going to come and bring peace to a family feud after a great war between kingdoms and nations. That's awesome. Mm. I feel the Ruach HaKodesh right now, Jim. That's awesome.
0: That's awesome. And you know, another amazing connection is that Shem in Hebrew means name. So when you, another name for God is Hashem, the name. And so really, the, the Melchizedek here, it, it's, it's not a coincidence that the Melchizedek that you're talking about is connected to the name of God, Hashem. It's amazing. The righteous
1: king. See, I can be working on this for ages, and then I get together with Pastor Jim, and he just kind of all of a sudden just <laughs> totally goes sewed on me, and I'm like, oh, I mean, I've been working on this for I ages. Mean, t- Carry on. Page three. (laughs) It's amazing. But now, let's find that connection. Let's go to Tehillim, Psalm chapter two. Now, this is a Malkit Zedek Psalm. This is a Malkit Zedek Psalm. And it's quoted in the book of Ivrim, the book of Hebrews, which is all about. It's not about covenants. That's what they told me back in the church. Well, the covenant has been passed away and now we've got a new... No, there is a better priesthood. There is a greater... It's about priesthood. The book of Ivrim is about priesthoods. It's not about covenants. Covenants is in italics in the book of Ivrim. At least in the King Jimmy. Back where I come from. It's about priesthood. This psalm is quoted in Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 5. And it explains what was happening with the kings of the earth that we just read about in Genesis chapter 14. It was a family feud because you had two descendants of Shem and one descendant of Shem killed the other descendant of Shem, the Malkit Tzedek and there was a peace offering after a battle of kings and war and this is going to relate to us in our days with Yeshua and why do we see the explanation right here in Tehillim Psalm 2 of what was going on? Why did the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? So the nations were raging back then and they were imagining they had a wicked imagination they had a wicked imagination and the kings of the earth, the Melachim of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers and they were taking counsel together at the time of Avram against who? Yahweh. They were taking counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed. And who was his anointed back then? The Melchizedek, the anointed Cohen, priest, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Let us break the traditions of the fathers from us, the Melchizedek fathers, the line of sequencing that was put in order, debris, spoken, you know the line, Adam says, the Enosh, etc. The Hebrew word there for bands is the Hebrew word Moser. Moser. And it comes from the Hebrew word Yassar. And it means let us break the customs. The customs which have been intertwined and passed down through the generations. Brethren, that's what we've done. We've been called to break the customs that have been passed down and intertwined through our generations. And part of the Malkitsetic order is you have got to make war against your generations that would, that would try to keep you in the customs and the doctrines. And that's what's happening here at Passion for Truth. It's a breakthrough. It's a breakthrough. The expansion, what you showed me before we started, up in the rooms upstairs where there's broadcasting that's about to go out to the nations, it's a breakthrough.
0: You know, what's interesting is there's two types of, of bonds or, or bands. It's where we get the word bondage from. Is, uh, there's two types of bonds. There's the, how many heard of the scripture, the, the three-stranded cord that okay, is not easily broken, Okay. And so you have one bond, and that is if you follow in the customs or the traditions of Yahweh, then you as a community or as a brethren are like a three-stranded cord. You're bonded together. You're, you're in, uh, you are in, it's somewhat, you know, the opposite of that would be in jail. You'd be in bondage. But the difference is, is that you're in a palace. And so the one bondage, you are bound together, and your walls are protecting you. The other bondage is if if you follow in the the, the traditions that are not found in the Scriptures, that are Mm -hmm. not from the Most High, then what happens is that three-stranded cord uh, becomes handcuffs, and it puts you into bondage, and the very thing that was meant to be a palace and the walls that are designed to protect you become walls that keep you in. And keep you from from accomplishing uh, your destiny. And so, what he's talking about here is really spectacular. I hope everyone's. Uh, uh, I'm going to break this down a little bit later. We have to recap this because oh, we're going to be up late tonight. This is super deep stuff. Uh, that is really spectacular. Uh, I'm really blown away. But the the nations are raging because of what he wants to break the traditions that Yahweh put forth. We can't break those traditions. Oh. No. Because not all traditions, can we admit, are bad. You know, y- y- there are good traditions uh, in our culture that we need to uphold. And Yahweh puts forth traditions himself. He says, and they're called, have many heard of the path of righteousness? Did you know the Hebrew word there is not paths of righteousness? Go look it up. It's cycles of righteousness cycles. is what the Hebrew word is. It's not mm. path. The word path is Derek in Hebrew the word that is in that particular scripture is we follow in the paths of righteousness, that is a linear idea, a path of righteousness. Yahweh says, no, 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 no. I know my sheep. If I put them on a path, they'll just keep walking right off the cliff. So I want them to go in cycles so where they learn over and over again. The Hallelujah. holy cycles of God. Everything is cyclical, cyclical with Yahweh. Everything is circular. This is why you look in the, in the Shemaim, what do you look in the heavens and what do you see? Do you see diamonds or do planets are round and stars are round? Our globe is round. Our minds are round, most of us. Everything that we do he points to the idea that everything is in cycles. Children learn through what? Tradition in cycles. You give them the wrong tradition, guess what happens when they turn 50? They have a really difficult time getting out of that mindset or that tradition because they've been walking in a cycle uh, of unrighteousness or a cycle that's not holy or set apart.
1: It's amazing. So if this Psalm 2 is explaining what's going on back in Bereshit 14, look what it says in Tehillim Psalm 2 verse 4, and he that sits in the shammayim shall laugh, Yahweh shall have them in derision. I think that was derision when there were four kings against five. He had them in derision. They shall Then shall he speak to them in his anger and trouble them in his heavy displeasure. Verse 6. Yet have I set my Melech, my king, upon my Kadosh, Zion. I will declare the decree. Yahweh has said to me, you are my son. This day have I brought you forth. Ask of me. And I shall give you the nations for your inheritance and the farthest parts of the earth for your possession. So because Avram made shalom with the Malkit Zedek, in the very next verses of scripture, what is Avram given the promise of? Kingship, land, a Malkit Zedek, Zerah, seed line. Because did Levi pay tithe to Malchizedek? He did through the loins of Avram. That's what the writer of the book of Ivrim says. Yep. This is amazing. And you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So Tehillim, Psalm 2, gives me more insight to what's going on when we find the Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. It's the war of the seed of Avraham. The sons of Yitzhak and Ishmael because Yitzhak received the Malchizedek over Ishmael which is happening today. It's a war between the seed line. Shem died. Then Eber would have taken and been next in line. After Eber would have been Yitzhak. After Yitzhak would have been Yaakov, and so on and so on. And we find that this line likely went through Yaakov to the tribe of Yehuda, Judah. Why? Because what do we find? Melech Shlomo, Melech King. He's already a king. King Solomon, it says in Kohelel, Ecclesiastics, was described himself as a what? A preacher. A preacher of what? A preacher of righteousness. So if you have a king who's a preacher of righteousness, but he's not of the line of Levi, he's the line of Judah, just like Yeshua. Could he be? Is it possible? Or is it my English imagination? Could he be a preacher of righteousness? He was a preacher of righteousness. And in his generation, could he have been a priest? in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Levi, since he was on the tribe of Yehuda.
0: I want to jump in here and say that, that it's not probably, it's absolute, because in Hebrew Melchizedek, how you've probably heard it grown up in church, is made up of two words, Malek, and he said this earlier but in the British accent I want to translate. Uh,
1: Melek is king. Well do it in a British accent then. Melek. Is king. Oh, it's fabulous. Sadiq. He's got is his righteous. children doing it too. <laughs> Where's Elena? She does a fabulous one.
0: She does, actually. She really
1: does. She did it this morning she... at breakfast. <laughs> Good morning. She Good said. morning. Would you like some tea <laughs> and crumpets and some new shoes? <laughs> <laughs>
0: But no, seriously, you shush. Malik means king. Oh, you can't do that. Zedek is zadek, which means righteous. So it's king of righteousness. And so Noah as is a preacher of righteousness. Okay, higher the Bible says than any other person, more righteous than any other person of that of that land, which makes him literally he's doing the role of a king. Is he not? He is the one that, that even Yeshua is compared to uh, because Yeshua saves us, if you will, from the world. And so Yeshua is a king. Noah is a king. Now what's really amazing is what he's saying is Solomon is literally a king. It's King Solomon that is a preacher of righteousness. So in the literal Hebrew, he is a Melech king. Of righteousness, and so if you didn't speak English in those days, they would have called him, "Oh Melchizedek." Yeah. Oh Malik. Oh Melchizedek. So it, 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 today we've created a, a role like this, almost like a new position called Melchizedek. You know, but back then it's Hebrew. It's it's the, it's a, it's a king of righteousness. So I want I want as we walk through here to understand that we have created this Melchizedek as a person. Have we not? But it's a realm. It's a, it's a realm. It's a role. It's a position it's of an authority. Order. It's a position of authority when you are a king of righteousness. And we a little bit later we're going to define what that is. And so he, he is. He's Melchizedek.
1: So the writer of the book of Ivrim, Hebrews, he tells us that this is how we enter through into this Melchizedek or king of righteousness realm. Through Yeshua, by offering up both prayers and supplication with loud crying and tears to the one able to save us from death. And we're going to be heard because of our piety. Because through the son, he learned through his piety and his obedience. We have to pray. We have to enter a life of supplication, of crying and with tears, and with pious obedience. That's what this is leading us into. And the fact that Yahweh has brought us into this heartfelt desire to learn the Torah is just the beginning. Don't go for the buoy. Go for the full anointing. And and this ministry is doing it. And you've got the foundation and building that up and ready, ready to accomplish this great, great work. It's interesting to note that down in Qumran, the the Essenes, they lived down in Qumran and we, we know that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in a cave in 1947 by the Bedouins. But what on earth were the Essenes doing down in Qumran? Why weren't they up in Jerusalem? Because who was up there? It was a corrupt Herodian priesthood that was led by a high priest that wasn't qualified called Caiaphas. They didn't want anything to do with that so they went down into the desert. And it's interesting, the writings of the Qumran that now have come out in manuscript 11Q13, it speaks of the coming of the Malkit Sedic. This is from the Dead Sea Scrolls. It talks about this Essene sect that the Malkit Sedic. The King of Righteousness, this sect, they believe that the King of Righteousness was an ever-present hope, an imminent reality that was gonna come in their life. How about us? I mean, have we forgotten this? That's my expectation an ever-present hope and reality that I can grasp a hold of this mystery and I can apply it to my life and it can affect my life and my family's life all of our lives <clears throat> the Essenes believed the Malkit Tzedek and Mashiach, Messiah were interconnected their expectation was for Malkit Tzedek to appear he was then an exalted divine being, so much so that in modern manuscripts, where you find Yahweh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, you would find Zedek I'll give you an example. Yeshayahu Isaiah 61 verse 2. In our Bibles, it would say, to proclaim, now Yeshua quoted this when he went up to the synagogue yet in the dead sea scrolls it's different in our bibles it says to proclaim the acceptable year of yahweh and the day of vengeance of our elohim to comfort all that mourn but in the dead sea scrolls it says to proclaim the acceptable year of malchizedek and the day of vengeance of our elohim To comfort all that mourn. And did the Melchizedek Yeshua speak this psalm? Excuse me, this prophet? Yeshayahu Isaiah? He did before the synagogue. Note, it's interesting. That in the reign of Melech Dawid, King David, the Zadokites suddenly appear as priests. They suddenly appeared in 2 Samuel chapter 8. The Zadokites. Zadokites. Zadik. Linguistically, they have the same three-root Hebrew root to them: Zadi, Dalek, Kuf. Zadokite, Zadik, and they are priests that remained faithful to the king. Is that what we're called?
0: They remained faithful to David. Matter of fact, that we were talking about this last night, and we mm. were like high fiving all over the place. I mean, because it was like amazing what Yahweh was revealing. But but Zadok, the the priests of Zadok, right? That are, are, says we will never be without uh, uh, someone to to serve at the altar. Is only the, the 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 order of Zadok. And so we looked at it, and it was incredible because, as he said, it's the same exact word in Hebrew as Sadiq which is Sadi, dalit, Kuf. Now in Paleo-Hebrew, pictograph Hebrew, it's really telling. What a real Sadiq does uh, is you have a Sadi, which is a man that is bent down, a humble man, a righteous man, and you have dalit, which is an open door. It's, it's like a door that is missing one side, uh, one mantle, so it's, it's the uh, one frame, and so it's an open door and then kuf is is like a sun that's halfway down and and it means uh to um uh to to bring out something that's hidden there's something hidden okay halfway behind the earth behind the 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 sun, the um um uh, what's that thing called the horizon thank you <laughs> and halfway down the horizon so it's halfway revealed and so a truth zadok, or a son of righteousness is someone that is a righteous man Opens the door that reveals that which is hidden. That's what a son of Zadok does. It is a humble man, that a righteous man that opens the door to hidden things. Now, what what you really need to understand out of we go through this whole thing is we haven't defined righteous. We haven't defined it. I don't know if you're going to do that a little bit later or not, or if I should just do that. I think real you quick. should do it. Okay, it's really important. Wouldn't you think that if if, if that we're talking about righteousness, we really should know what that word means? Well, the word "righteous," both in the Greek and the Hebrew. You guys know that, uh, man. I'm really bent towards the Hebrew because it was it's written first, and all of all of the you know, the Greek concepts, uh, excuse me, the Greek words are, these words in the Greek New Testament are coming from Hebrew concepts. So you take the Greek word, you go back to the original in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, convert it to Hebrew, and there you go, you're going to have the exact meaning of that word. And so if you go and you look at the actual Greek, and amazing, because this actually works in both Greek and in Hebrew, when you look at the Greek, the Greek word is actually diakonos, diakonos. And you can read in the strong g- yourself if you want. But the diakonos in Greek, it says one of the definitions is keeping divine laws. Mm. That's righteous. Now, I teach my children wow. what righteous is, is really simple. It's doing the right thing. It's a good description. It's doing the right What is the right thing? What he says is the right thing. Makes sense to me, right? But if you go back to Hebrew, The Hebrew word for righteous is Sadiq, And the meaning of Sadiq is to be just, lawful. Someone that is just in government, right in conduct, and in character. Correct, right, or lawful. Now, I, I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, this changes everything. If you go back and look at every single New Testament scripture that says the word righteous... Lawful full of Torah it changes everything yes, it changes everything matter of fact Let me just let me just do this for fun I'm just gonna randomly pick a a verse in the New Testament if we could take one minute here And we're gonna read it
1: with hebraic eyes. We're
0: gonna we're gonna read it with with we're gonna stop greeking
1: each other out You're greeking me out (laughs) Leave it to a. turn to your neighbor and said I'm not gonna greek you out anymore. Come on (laughs)
0: Okay, here we go. 1 John chapter 2. I love this. It says in verse 28, And now little children abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Do you see how the definition radically changes when you define it by the Bible? righteousness is keeping the divine laws of god which is what makes you right in his eyes when you're wrong in his eyes it's because you did something against what he said so what he says is if you you know that he yeshua is righteous he says he kept the law of god perfectly so Mm. he's righteous he's perfect righteousness he's the king he's the malchizedek but you know that everyone who practices doing the right thing, keeping the divine laws of God is born of him. This is why in Matthew chapter seven, when he stand before the Pharisees stand before God and they're all excited. I can see him just giving each other high five, you know, we're going to make it in. And Yahweh looks, Yeshua actually as the judge looks right into their eyes and says, depart from me for I never knew you. You are workers of lawlessness. Unrighteous.
1: Unrighteous.
0: You did not do what my father said to do. Therefore, you are not a son of righteousness. It is only the sons of the righteous king that get to serve at the altar. This is why the Malchiesetic is so huge and so important.
1: That's so deep. But I was looking to the wrong altar. I was but the writer of the book of Ephraim says we have an altar that's outside of the gates that they have no right to eat of it's not the Shalamin offering that's going on that altar that you can take home and eat if you want that go to the Levitical order not to diminish it but do you want that one or do you want to go outside of the gates and you don't get to eat from that altar because on that altar Is another sacrifice. The greater work, the work of redemption, the Malkep Zedic Yeshua on that altar. Okay, now I gotta jump
0: in because you just hit something awesome. All right, you guys need to know what he's talking about in, in the literal of the actual altar. He's not being figurative by saying that there's an altar outside of the walls of Jerusalem. There literally was an altar outside the gates of Jerusalem where they did one single sacrifice. And that is the red heifer sacrifice. It was a clean place. The Bible calls it a clean place. It was There was a bridge that was built only when they needed the red heifer sacrifice that instituted this week's Torah portion. I'm going to stand up in just a second. Because the priests were inaugurated into their service and dedicated only when the red heifer sacrifice was made. When the red heifer sacrifice was made and the ashes were, were spread and sprinkled, guess what happened? That cleansed the entire ah. temple and allowed oh. the priests to do their job. You can be called a priest from birth, but until the red heifer was slain... And if you don't know what I'm talking about, get the teaching called the red heifer and you'll be blown away. I mean, you'll get the context. But until the red heifer was actually sacrificed, it didn't matter if you had the calling of a priest or if you were in the lineage of Levi or Aaron, until that happened outside on the Mount of Olives, you could not start your ministry.
1: Because you're defiled unless you get onto that.
0: So what happened, guess who gets to, to operate at the... Altar that is outside of the gate, one single person. It is the Kohen Haggadah mm. It is the high priest that operates and works within that sacrificial that sacrifice that inaugurates the entire temple into service. And who is that high priest? The Malchisedek. Mm. It is the Malki the king of righteousness, that was sacrificed in the exact place of the red heifer. Cleansing all of the Israelites who were called from birth from Mount Sinai to be priests. But they could not enter into their calling until the sacrifice was made. Once the sacrifice is made on the Mount of Olives, in the same place, in the clean place of the red heifer sacrifice, it institutes in a new order of temple service where every one of you that are called by the Most High God to be kings and priests, but you cannot operate in your role until you accept the fact that it is not the Kohen Hagadol, the high priest of the Levitical order, but is the Cohen Haggadah of the Malkit Zedek, the righteous king that supersedes and that bloodline thread runs from Adam all the way to Noah, all the way to, 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 to Yeshua himself. When you accept that blood, that is the real red heifer sacrifice that allows you to be cleansed and walk in the calling that Yahweh has called you to walk in.
1: Oh, powerful, powerful. But we've got to move away from corruption. And that's what the Qumran community, they've moved away from Caiaphas's corruption. they would moved away from the Herodian doctrines and dogmas and religious system of corruption. In fact, it's, um, the Essene sect at the time of Yeshua, they believed that the Malkit Zedek, the anointed one, was connected to the Mashiach, the Messiah. And he was expected to come and deliver a divine communication and then he would have to die, be cut off as it's written in Daniel 9.26. And many, many researchers today that have looked into the Qumran Dead Sea Scrolls, they will conclude that within the Qumran community their Messianic Malchizedic texts even suggest that this leader, this teacher of righteousness or Zadik, would be persecuted and that he would possibly be crucified and resurrected. That's amazing. Researchers that have, whether it be the Copper Scroll or other researchers that have dug into these texts. You do you do realize that um, the Israel Antiquities Department, they didn't release the Dead Sea Scrolls for a long time because they weren't sure what it was going to reveal. Because it might affect some dogma and some doctrine. And many scholars who've actually read the Dead Sea Scrolls and come to the conclusion that they did expect the Malkit Zedek to be persecuted, to be divine, possibly crucified and resurrected, they're no longer allowed to teach in universities. They've been shunned.
0: And they actually expected it in their lifetime. In their lifetime. They did. Because of the Daniel 9.26 that says... 483 years mm. from the giving of the decree, the Mashiach, the anointed one, the Malkit Tzedek, would be cut off. Yep. And if you go 483 years from, from the decree,
1: that was the expectation. It's right Boom. At,
0: at the death of the Messiah.
1: But you have to be a priest, a Kohen, right? Before you can offer a sacrifice, right? You have to be a Cohen, a priest, before you can offer a sacrifice. The high priest stands to officiate over the sacrifice. Only once it's fully consumed, that sacrifice, can he sit down. He stands. He has to wait until it is finished. wow. <laughs> Prophets have a divine message. Priests have an altar and a sacrifice and kingdoms have to have a king. So if you're sure is this Malkit that we've been talking about, that we've been discussing and thinking about, and it relates to us today... There has to be some perfect sequencing that we're going to see in the scripture that will unveil this mystery. Matthew 1, Matichahu, chapter 1 and chapter 2. What does it establish that Yeshua is? It establishes that Yeshua, through the genealogies, that Yeshua is a Melech, a Malki, a king. Matichahu 1 and 2 solidly establishes that Yeshua is a Malki. He's a king. He's a king. The mantle of priesthood is always handed down through cleansing. We see it in this week's Torah portion, the dedication and cleansing of the Levites. The Malki Zedek is no difference. It's no difference at all. It's handed down through mikveh ritual immersion. The mantle of priesthood must be handed down through ritual immersion. You saw the Levites, they shave themselves from head to toe, they're ritually immersed. Nothing different with the setting. It has to be handed down through mikvah. If Yeshua already a Malki, he's already a king, it's solid. Matthew 1 and 2, the genealogies, that's what they're f- there for, to establish that your Yeshua is a Malki. But now we want to see where that transference happens, because the book of Ivrim says there's a transference. Let's see. The mantle of priesthood Handed down through mikveh, the Jordan River, brethren, the is a geographic point of change. Remember, principalities, demons study your genealogy and they study your generations and they operate geographically. There's going to be a shift, and Yeshua is going to move into a whole realm where he's going to do battle with. Entities, and he's going to go to war. But first of all, there's got to be a transference. He was born Melech of the Jews, Melech of the Yahudim. Matichahu chapter 2 verse 2, saying, Where is he that was born Melech of the Yahudim? For we have seen his kokav, his star in the east, and have come to worship him. So Yeshua must fulfill righteousness through a legal high priest. Was Caiaphas a legal high priest? No. But Yochanan Beel, John the Immerser, was from the line of Aaron. Both of his, pro- his parents walked in righteousness. He was in the lineage, the taxin, if I'm going to Greek you out, or the debar in the Hebrew, the sequencing, the spoken word of the line of Abijah. Yochanan Beel was the legal high priest. Yep. Why wasn't he in the temple? Because it was corrupted. It was Herodian. It was an abomination. And he was out in the desert eating kosher locusts. (laughs) We talked about that too last night. We won't go there. We continue on. Matichahu chapter 3 verse 13. He always gets a little nervous with with me up here in my red disco shoes then came Yahshua from Galilee to the Jordan River to Yochanan to be immersed by him but Yokanon forbade him saying I need to be immersed by you Yeshua." and you come to me and Yahshua answering said to him allow it to be so now listen to this for this will allow us to do what fulfill all Zadokah what happens when a king fulfills righteousness Yeshua is a king he goes into the water as a king but he comes up out of the water as a king who's fulfilled all righteousness he comes up as a Malkit Zedek that's right this is where it happened this is where it happened right here this is the transference of power and authority and anointing that you and I are inheritors of this is it! They had to fulfill all righteousness and it had to be passed down through the righteous priesthood of the order of Aaron by the legitimate Yahweh divine Kohen Haggadah, on the Immerser.
0: This is why, ladies and gentlemen, the scriptures, that Peter mm. freaked out when he found out that all these people accepted the Messiah and they said, we're going to follow Yeshua and he said, have they been baptized? This is why the scriptures command that you become immersed two ways, both in fire and in water. Because he's connecting you to two things. He's connecting you to that you, it's just as Yeshua was the beginning of the immersed one that that brought in the Melchizedek high priesthood, if you will, that new order. You can't be a a Melchizedek son unless you are also mikvid in the same way you couldn't follow a rabbi in the first century unless you were mikvid you couldn't do it there is a transference as he is saying but what i want to bring up here is there's two types of transferences there is by water which is the transference of the malchizedek order of lineage but which order are you going to be in which order are you going to be? Meaning, what is your instruction manual? When you get into, when you follow a rabbi, you are mikvid into their yoke, it's called, in the first century. You're mikvid into their yoke, which meant the way that they interpreted Torah. Their exegesis, okay? Is that what it's called? How did they interpret the scriptures? The fire being immersed by the Ruach HaKodesh and the fire points you back into the only other place in the history of the Bible where God's people were immersed in fire. And that was 1200 years to the day before Acts chapter two, when they were immersed in fire on Mount Sinai, when the fire of God came down and hovered over the people over Mount Sinai and said, I am burning out of you. All of your Egyptian traditions and doctrines of man, I, and I am going to bring forth as gold. This is not just conjecture. This is why fire is mentioned so many times in Scripture of burning chaff, of burning all of the things that aren't of Him because the fire burns away your old life whereas the water gives you new life. Do you understand what I'm saying? The fire burns away your old life and the water gives you new life. This is why, and it, mu- it goes in that order. This is why when you have a real fire, that burns down an entire forest. Guess what happens? The water and the rain come, mm. and new life comes. Nothing happens in the natural realm of new life until the earth is mikvahed. The earth, this is why Noah's flood had to happen. The earth had to be mikvahed so that the new order Could be reestablished. Hallelujah. When we get mikvah, like 40 people got mikvah last week, you are mikvahed into a new order. Is this making sense? Rabbi, teach us more. This is good.
1: And those that aren't following Yeshua, they're gonna get mikvahed into the new world order. (laughs) Right? Let's get back. But if (laughs) Yeshua, but if Yeshua then, gets the transference from the legitimate high priest, Yochanan or John the Immerser. He goes into the water of Melech, but he comes out Amelech Melech Zadik. But Yeshua still has to deal with the corrupt Caiaphas. How's he going to deal with it? Through the Torah. Let's turn to the book of Vayikra and establish a precedent. Vayikra, Leviticus chapter 5 the trespass offering. And if a being sins and hears the voice of swearing and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of it, if he does not reveal it, then he shall bear his iniquity. What does this mean? If someone swears this oath, if someone swears this oath, and you hear them, and you're a witness to something, and you know of something, and you know of the truth, but you don't reveal it, you're in sin, and you're going to bear iniquity. That's what this means. Now look at Vayikra, Leviticus 10, verse 6. And Moshe said to Aaron, and to El-Azhar, and to Ithamar his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither tear your clothes lest you die. What would happen if they tore their clothes as priests? They would die. You rip your priestly garments, you annul your position, you're disqualified, and you're going to die. Now look what Yahweh did. He made a special provision because he doesn't want any accidents. Exodus Shemot 28, verse 32. Now there shall be a hole in the top of it, this is the priestly garment. And in the midst of it, it shall have a binding of woven work all around the whole of it, as if the whole of strong armor so that it not be torn. The priestly garments, Yahweh's mercy, his rachamin, he makes a special provision so that they wouldn't accidentally tear their garments, annul their priesthood, and be killed. He puts a double weave of armor around the garments of the priests, so that it's not going to tear on accident. Now, let's see how Yeshua establishes it in the natural. He's just established his priesthood in the supernatural. Now he's going to establish it in the natural. Matichahu, Matthew 26, verse 57. And they were there that laid hold of Yeshua. They led him away to Caiaphas, the Kohen Haggadah where the Sophrim and the Zakanim were were assembled. But Kepha followed him from afar off to the Kohen Haggadal's place and went in and sat with the Avedim to see the result. Now the main Kohenim priests and the Zakanim elders and all the Sanhedrin sought false witnesses, false witnesses against Yeshua to put him to death. But they found none. Yes, though many false witnesses came, Yet they found none. And at the end, two false witnesses came and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the Beth HaMekdesh, the temple of Eloah, and to build it in three days. Verse 62. And the Kohen Haggadah stood, this is Caiaphas, and he said, Don't you respond? What is all this that these witnesses against you? Did Yeshua respond? No. He kept silent. And the Cohen Hagadol, the High Priest Caiaphas, answered and said to him, "I put you under oath. What oath? He puts him under the oath of Leviticus five. He puts him under the trespass offering. So now, if Yeshua knows something that's true and he doesn't speak it, then Yeshua is a sinner and he can't provide your redemption. But what happens? Caiaphas." puts him under the oath of Vayikra, Leviticus chapter 5. I put you under oath before the living Eloah that you tell us whether you are the Mashiach, the son of the Almighty. Does Yeshua know the truth here? He has to speak it. He has to speak it. So now Caiaphas invokes the law of the trespass offering. Yeshua has to answer him or he would have been a sin in sin, a sinner, he would have been defiled and he would have been disqualified to represent us. So then Yeshua verse 64 says, You have said it. That's not good enough. Yeshua has to say it. It can't be Caiaphas who says it. You have said it. Nevertheless, I say to you, not Caiaphas, I'm going to speak it according to Torah because you've invoked it. So now I know the truth. And he says, after this you shall see the Ben-Adam, the Son of Man, sitting on the right hand of Yahweh. Psalm 110, he's a Melchizedek, Yahweh at the right hand of Yahweh, coming in the clouds of the Shammayim. Then the Kohen Haggadah tore his clothes, saying, he has spoken blasphemy. Uh Uh-oh, he's disqualified In the natural realm, he is no longer a high priest. Before witnesses, he's going to die. He just ripped his priestly garments. He just disqualified and established, again, that Yeshua is the legitimate Kohen HaGadah.
0: Can we get an amen from that?
1: It's amazing. It's good guess what brethren what was the next sacrifice that was going to go up on the altar there was no priest to officiate or over it the next sacrifice that was going up on the altar was Yeshua officiating over his own sacrifice because Caiaphas was a null and void and couldn't officiate over Yeshua's sacrifice hallelujah oh hallelujah, hallelujah.
0: that's good stuff oh amen And the sacrifice that he's talking about, for those of you that are new, is the Passover sacrifice. The Kohen Haggadah, the high priest, was the only one that could officiate over that. He disqualifies himself. Yeshua is the only true legitimate high priest and the Passover lamb.
1: I need a cup of tea. And the writer of the book of Ivrim, he knew this. Look what it says in Ivrim, Hebrews 7, verse 20. Inasmuch as he, Yeshua, that's the Malkit said it, was not made priest without an oath. He wasn't made priest without an oath. He was made priest by the oath that Caiaphas invoked. He was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he became a Kohen because of an oath. The oath of the trespass offering, the ultimate test of qualification for priesthood. Look at Ivrim, Hebrews 7, verse 28. For the Torah makes men koanim gedolim, who have human weakness. But the word of the oath, what oath? We just found out. But the word of the oath, which was after the Torah, appointed the son of who has been perfected forever and ever. That word of the oath appointed the son as the Malkit Sedic. Not only Yochanan Harmat, Beal, John the Immerser, but Caiaphas invoked the word of the oath. And Yeshua said, you said it, but I have to say it. Yes, the son of man I am coming on the clouds. And he disqualified himself, did Caiaphas. And Yeshua officiated over his own sacrifice. Caiaphas needs to die. He's going to die. In the witnesses of the Zakanim, the elders, the leaders, and the Sanhedrin. But now look at Yeshua. Remember the writer of Hebrews quoted Psalm 110 verse 4. Order. It's the Hebrew word debrah. Literally means he was put in order through speaking. By the word. By the oath. He was put in order through speaking. we I mean, we see how we're setting you up. Can you say, I'm setting you up, I'm setting you up, we're setting you up. It's a conspiracy. But it's a biblical conspiracy of revelation. It's amazing. Woo! Now, we've got some details that we've got to fill in. Yokonon, John chapter 19, verse 23. Because now if Yeshua is the Kohen Haggadal, is he the Kohen Haggadal? He's the high priest. Look what happens. Then the soldiers, Yokanon, John nineteen twenty-three. It's going to get good. When they impaled Yeshua, they took his garments and made four parts. To every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to seize who it should be, that the Katuv, the scriptures, might be fulfilled, which said, They parted my clothes among them, and for they, my robe did they cast lots. Therefore, these things the soldiers did, let us not tear it. It's because it's the high priest's tunic and it can't be torn. Otherwise, Yeshua's priesthood is nullified and he hasn't sat down yet. Right? He has to do the work. Now look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I come to do your will, O Yahweh. He takes away the first sacrificial system that he may establish the second. By that desire... We are now kadosh through the offering of the body of Yeshua HaMashiach once for all. And every Kohen stands daily serving and offering the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, Le'olam Vayed, sat down at the right hand of Yahweh, waiting from then on until all his enemies are made his footstool. He's quoting the one and only Melchizedek text in the entire Old Testament apart from Genesis 14. The high priest can only sit down once the sacrifice is fully consumed. As high priest, he has to stand until the sacrifice is completed. Yeshua can't sit down until it is finished. Luke 7 verse 28. For I say to you, brethren, among those that were born of women, there is not a greater Navi, a greater prophet than Yokonan HaMat Biel. Do you realize John the Immerser is a greater prophet than Avraham? A greater prophet than Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our teacher? He was the greatest prophet, greater than Daniel, yeshiyahu Yirmiyahu Greater than all, Yokanan Hamat the greatest prophet, yet Yeshua says this: but he that is least in the kingdom of Yahweh, Yahweh is greater than he. Why? This is where it really hits us hard. He who is least in the kingdom of Malkit Zedek, in the realm of Malkit Zedek, he who is least in the realm of Malkit Zedek is even greater than the greatest prophet in the order of Levi. You've got to transfer realms. We got to bust through that religious messianic veil and transfer realms. Because even if you're struggling, brethren, and we all struggle, even if you're struggling, Get into the realm of the Malchizedek, because even least within that realm is greater than the greatest prophet of the Order of Levi, because then you're yoking yourself with, like Pastor Jim said, that red heifer sacrifice on an altar which they don't have the right to eat from. Outside of the gates, it's walking in prophetic and apostolic authority. It's the Malchizedek ministry is greater than any other ministry. Why aren't we moving in Yahweh's divinely given Malkitsetic authority in our assemblies? I mean, ministry, your ministry, the ministry that Yahweh's called you to is a ministry of resurrection. And resurrection comes from Elohim. And resurrection is a permanent rule of service that doesn't pass away. And that is what is calling you all to. So right now, brethren, I'm saying that if you want to make a commitment and you want to come up front, and I'm sure you don't do this often, but I just feel led. If you want to make that commitment to walk in the Malkitzedic priesthood under Yeshua, or you want to make a commitment to Yeshua right now, I want you to slip your hands up and elders, have a look around and see. Slip your hand up because you need to have somebody come and minister to you and pray for you. And help you, help you in that anointing. Elders, look around at those hands. Look around at those hands. Elders, deacons, these these people, they want to make that commitment. Pastor Jim, I'm going to ask you just to just to take over. And, and, and this should this should totally. Up. If
0: you raise your hand tonight and you want to you want to do that, as soon as the service is over, if you could please meet over here, and uh, some of our prayer leaders and elders will meet with you. But I hope the scripture, at the end of the day, the scripture that I'm going to quote, really will mean a lot more to you. When it says that the priest, the, when, the, when the priest did the sacrifice, he had to do what? Stand. Until when, Matthew?
1: It was finished. Until
0: it was completely finished. So you remember when the scripture says, when all else fails. Stand. 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 It's not just a good cheerleader message. No. It's not just metaphorical or figurative. Yahweh, every detail, every jot, every tittle is there for a reason. He says that when in the middle of the sacrifice, in the middle of the turbulent times, in the middle of your life, and when all else fails, you don't know what to do. Stand, do you realize what he's saying? He's saying, you are a priest. Don't back down, stand. And wait for me yes. to finish the work in your life. Then when I'm finished, you can sit. And you will sit at the right hand of the right hand. Because you are a son of righteousness. You are Ben Melchizedek. Hallelujah. You are the son of the King of that broad righteousness Matt Hoffman could you come up and play keys for just a second Abba wants to encourage you tonight this is not just information no this is bigger this is huge information this is his information do you remember with the the great prophets when they came back to Jerusalem and they discovered the Torah scroll what did they do They tore their clothes and then they read the law for days, three days on end. Because the people had lost their identity, they had lost what their purpose and their mission in life was for. As we're moving, and some of you are brand new to the Hebrew roots, and you're you're learning the front of the book, you're learning the Torah, the instruction manual. Don't be so quick to try to grab onto a buoy or that which is around you to say what is familiar, what is doing this. And it's natural to try to find something that is that is seems like it has something more to offer than what you had in your past. But what the truth of the matter is, what you really need is to understand that you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek and you have been given the order. Not just of an order, You've been given the order to carry out the righteousness in this world, which is doing the right thing. It's doing what Yahweh says is His divine laws. When you follow Yahweh in His laws, and you follow the King in His laws, guess what happens? You get to live in the kingdom of righteousness. You see, it's not about what you do. It's about what He did. Now, we all heard this our entire life. You know, it's all about what he did. But it really, truly is about what he did. He established a new order. And he requires you to follow him in that order. When you follow in the order of the son of the living God, a son of the king of righteousness, you are given the scepter of righteousness. Mm. Do you understand what the scepter is? the scepter is the power stick Mm. it's the stick of power is what it is that allows you to accomplish his will on earth through you i am just i'm just a a a a shepherd a leader one who is from a pasture i pasture it's where the word pastor came from a shepherd who pastures the sheep He does not desire to do His will through a pastor. He desires to instruct the people through the pastures so that you can do the work that you're called to do. Why is it we've all grown up with the idea that it's us that do the work and you that just listen and go, wow, I don't want this to be this kind of message. I want you at home to understand that you have the breakthrough that you're looking through already. You've just not grabbed home that you are a son of the living God. You are of the righteous order of the Melchizedek. Mm. Live as a king. Live under the righteousness of the divine laws of Yahweh. There is no other definition of righteousness. You can say that I'm righteous because he's righteous and you're right. That gets you in to the kingdom. But where do you want to live in the kingdom? Do you want to live eating the scraps from the table? Or do you want to sit at the right hand during the marriage supper of the Lamb? Would you stand with me tonight?